Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Media Watch. I'm your host, Dr. Savvy, and we come back with another home edition episode for you. Now, we've got a wonderful guest, someone who's not a stranger to Seek Channel, because ages ago, uh, he used to do a really, really good late night show. Um, he does lots of other things. He's been on TV, on the BBC, uh, on various documentaries, and he's been doing some great work for the NHS recently in terms of some running activities and to raise funds for charity. The other thing we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about, as we know at the moment, there's been a lot of uh, discussion and marches with regards to Black Lives Matter. All Lives Matter. Um, I think Dell and I are approximately the same age and uh, we do remember growing up in the 70s and 80s and how it's important for us to communicate to our kids uh, the struggles that we went through and even worse struggles that our parents went through. But I wanted to talk about an, a final story, uh, which uh, really kind of got me to give Dell a call and say, I'd love you to come on the show. And that was his Bond story, Jane's Bond story, but I won't steal his thunder. Dell, nice to see you. How are you? Great to, to speak to you and see you too. I'm good, Brilliant thank and uh, you're doing good and you're looking good as well. Uh, I remember seeing you on TV recently on BBC doing some great work in terms of fitness and all those important things. Tell us a little bit about some of the stuff you're doing for the NHS in terms of you've done a lot of running recently. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I love the, the, the thing you put up the other day when you did a nice little casual 5K run. But you are a pretty good marathon runner as well, right? I, I, I run marathons. I wouldn't say pretty good because I'm quite a slow runner. But I mean, I was going to say, firstly, you sort of said we're about the same age. Um, if we are, then you're doing better than I am because I'm pretty haggard compared to you. But so, so look, I um, I have been doing a bit for... I was born in the what it is. That's all I'm going to say. I was born in the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> the 60s too. 1962, in fact. So there you go. Um so, so look, I have, uh, yeah, I, so I had a, a change of life about six years ago where I underwent uh, bariatric surgery. I paid to have my stomach made smaller. Um, I lost 10 stone in weight uh, within a year. Um, so I became healthier. I also became more active. I started doing, um, I climbed Kilimanjaro. I started doing a bit of walking and then going to running. And um, I ran the London Marathon last year um, I say I'm not fast, but I, I completed it. Um, and I was due to run the London Marathon this year in 2020 at the end of April. But then, of course, COVID-19 struck and the events postponed till October. Um, so I thought, look, I still need to keep my fitness up. I, I, I like running because it actually gives me a degree in mindfulness. And when I run, I often run sometimes with music, sometimes with Simran. And I, it, it takes me to a different place. So, uh, you know, I know Goodwill is a shot right now, but for me, it gets me out in the open air, thinking about my family, thinking about the God, thinking about the world, and it's great. And so I thought maybe I can help myself uh, during April and I can help the NHS because these guys can't sit at home and work at home. So I decided to create a thing called Run for Our NHS. Um, and what I said was I would run uh, 10.5K every Sunday in April. And then by the time the fourth Sunday, which incidentally would have been the day to the London Marathon came around, I would have completed 42K or 26.2 miles. So that's a marathon. And so I did that. I um, was doing it for two local NHS charities here in Peterborough. 
Um, I've raised about twelve hundred pounds um, for that for those guys, which is brilliant. Um, there, there, there have been some interesting asides, and I think the, the most interesting one was I think on the third run that I was doing, um, as I was running through town centre, a kind of police car pulled up in front of me, flashed the blue lights, and I thought, oh dear, I'm going to get pulled over for being outside lockdown, even though I was running, and. Um, when I got close to the police car, there was two female police officers, and they, I said, look, I'm in, am I in trouble? I'm sorry, I'm just out running exercise. She goes, no, 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 you're not in trouble. We're just interested in your shirt because you've got run for our own NHS. What is that all about? And I explained to them what I was doing, and the response was, that is brilliant. Can we have a selfie? And so they actually jumped out the police wow. car, uh, socially distancing. Took a se- One of them took a selfie with me standing next to a, a, a police officer. Um, and by the time I got back home, I had people calling me saying, Del, you realise you're actually on a police Facebook page um, and the police are actually kind of like, you know, big pat on the back for you for doing all this stuff. So it wasn't a crime watch type thing. It was really a, a well done Del. So, you know, it, it's it's brilliant. But, you know, during this last few months, and I've all run a marathon in May. I'm going to carry on doing it in June. Um, but, you know, so we've got some real inspirations. You've got people like Captain Tom, 100 years old, doing stuff like that. I met some local kids who actually asked me to come and join them for the 5K run. They were age, ages 6 to 11, and they asked me to be a special guest and run 5K with them. And they've raised about two grand for local hospitals. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's truly remarkable what people are doing. No, that's really, really good. And, uh, you know, you also have a, a friend of yours as well. You, you ran uh, for his memory too, didn't you? Yeah, so unfortunately, my, you know, the per- probably the person that got me into running was so my friend Darren, who sadly uh, was uh, was battling cancer at the age of 47. The irony was this guy was the healthiest guy. He used to always have a go at me about, you know, not eating healthy and all these things. And yet he was the healthiest guy. But, you know, a horrible illness like cancer just blindsided him and took his life at 47. And while he was going through chemo, I thought, how do I support you? And I said, what I'll do is I'm going to go and run in a half marathon first. I did that and then I ran the marathon. In fact, I'd say when I ran the London Marathon last year, I think I got to 24 miles and I literally thought I was going to die. I didn't know if I was going to be able to carry on. And it was just thinking about... It, it, it's tough and thinking about him in a hospice literally was that was a week before uh, week just week before he died so he was quite serious at that point and thinking about him made me go those extra two miles and cross that line um and he was the first person i went to see after i got back to peterborough and like i say sadly within a week he, he passed away but you know that's that's the thing so you know my message to anyone out there is please don't take your health for granted because there's loads of people out there can't do these things uh, i'm not saying everybody's trying running a marathon but please get out there and look after yourselves Absolutely. And I was going to say, when I, I did London Marathon quite a few years ago, so I, I know the pain. Um, I, the furthest I'd run in my training was like 18 to 20 miles. So the last six for me were, were quite hard, but you have to kind of battle on. And it's nice and interesting that you say that you use, uh, uh, you play similar while you're, while you're running. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you was also your brother, right? Uh, you've inspired people in your family as well to get fitter too, haven't you? Yeah, so I think again, this and um, you know, last year when I was running London Marathon, I got spotted uh, because I, I was interviewed by the BBC on Tower Bridge, and as a result of it, I got asked to go and be in a documentary. I think you referred to earlier on. It's called Who You're Calling Fat, which is still on iPlayer, um, and it was a mixed bag of people who all identify as big-bodied, 
Um, I was the oldest in the house of nine people. I was also the, probably an ethnic minority, which is the reason I went on there. I didn't want it all to be Gordier on there. Um, and the thing for me, and I was the only one that actually had surgery. So I, and I was the lightest person on there, about 15 stone. I was the lightest one. And I think the heaviest people were much heavier. And it wasn't for me to criticize their weight, but I did actually sort of say to them, look, you know, the, the health part is important, guys. You're in your 20s and 30s at a big weight and you think you're invincible. Trust me, when you get to your 40s and 50s, your mobility goes, you're on lots of meds, you're, you're diabetic, it becomes horrible. And, um, you know, through I've got a website called bariatricman.com. It's a not-for-profit site. It just offers advice to people who are thinking about surgery or options. Um, and strangely enough, when I had my surgery, I didn't tell anybody apart from my wife and I, the only two people, and, of course, the doctors, who, who knew this. Um, you know, I even got my mum off to India, so she wouldn't know about it. Unfortunately, she got ill and had to come back. So my wife stayed in Peterborough with her while I went off secretly and had my surgery. Um, and when I came back, um, you know, I was basically castigated by my family and friends for what the hell have you done to yourself? Why? Uh, and one of the most vociferous critics was my oldest brother, uh, Manjeet, uh, or Pete Singh, as everybody calls him. And, um, you know, but the thing is, over the last six years, he's seen me change my life. And then last year, he came to me and said, Manjeet, uh, I'm going to Poland. And I thought, well, why? You know, there are no decent holiday hotspots left anymore. And he said, no, no, I'm going over to Poland to have surgery. Same as you. And I was like, wow, really? And he, he, so, you know, he went and had surgery, same as I've had, which is gastric sleeve, where they basically remove three quarters of your stomach. Um, he's about nine months in now. He has lost about nine stone in weight. He is a lot healthier. He's come off a lot of the meds. He, he even told me the other day he's doing yoga now, which kind of like was, whoa, God, that's quite something. Uh, but, you know, he feels better in himself. And so, you know, if I'm inspiring and helping people who are strangers then doing it for someone i actually love and i you know I, I care about immensely uh was that's the biggest thing the biggest win for me absolutely so let, let me ask you about now um it's very important for us to consider what's actually happening right now we don't have to necessarily talk about you know the black lives matter movement or the the george floyd aspect um there have been uh, i noticed in the crowd of some of the people that did go on some of the marches there were some seats there as well that you know politically wise there's been a lot of uh, you know, Sikhs have suffered a lot over the years. Um, Sikhs have given as well. I recently saw an article that you posted with regards to, you know, making sure that we honour the memory of those who actually gave their lives as well. Um, for ourselves, I think as Sikhs, we tend to be more humble. Uh, we are a, a giving race. Um, we do. Uh, we are a bit more selfless. But uh, we also have been through struggles coming into the UK or moving to Canada or other places around the world. Um, the the individuals that came over showed a lot of courage, you know, to uh, lay their roots down. And they had to suffer a lot as well with regards to the the main uh, population here, uh, uh, you know. And I think it's, I think personally it's important to communicate to kids the, the journey that our parents went through. And we are still going through that journey right now. Um, do you, what's your views on, on really finding different ways in which we can communicate the importance of realizing our roots and also not being complacent, not letting our kids necessarily be complacent about, um, you know, the, the struggles that continue, you know? If you, if you look at my pin here, it is a Black Lives Matter pin. Um, now, the reason I'm wearing that is because we had a protest here in Peterborough on Saturday um, and I was a speaker. Um, now, 
I attended there, and I have to say, and if anybody finds it on social media, Peterborough is brilliant because we observed social distancing, we wore masks, we had no police there, we had no violence, it was peaceful. It really was brilliant. Um, and there were about a thousand people or so that came. I, the reason I spoke there was because I was fed up with people saying things like, on social media, like, what's the death of a black guy in Minneapolis got to do with anything in the UK? And my point was, it's got everything to do with what's happening in the UK, especially for those of us like you and I, who were maybe born in the 60s, who went through a period where we had massive discrimination. So just to give you an example, when I spoke on the stage on Saturday, I said racism doesn't have to always be violent or a knee on the neck or whatever. It can be more subtle than that. So I know when we went to school here in the UK in the 1960s, there were three non-white children in school, myself and my two older siblings, um, you know, my brothers. And um, we were told, we, our names were Manjit, Sarabjit and Daljit, or Manjit, Sarabjit, Deljit. Now, you know, two syllable names, but they were too difficult. So we were christened, and I'll use that term, we were christened because we were given Christian names. We became Peter, David, and I became Paul. You know, it could have been worse, it could have been Ringo, I suppose, but Paul is what the that's name very, was given. That's very uh, biblical, actually, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it is biblical, but at the same time, I mean, it could be a bit, bit Beatlesque, I suppose, as well, hence the Ringo reference. But look, you know, the point was, and that's what I said to the crowd the other day, imagine taking your child to school and somebody saying to your child, Nah, I don't like their name. It's a tough one. We're going to rename it. You know, that's what, that's what, if you ever saw the program Roots, that's what happened there. Kunta yeah. Kente became Kobe because somebody gave you a name. It was almost like a slave name. Now, you know, I'm not being overdramatic because I actually dropped the name Paul and I went to Delgit and people got used to it and then it got short to Del and I'm happy with that. Um, my two older brothers have actually kept those names. They, they in business, they use them. People call them Peter and David now. So they've got a different perspective. But the point I'm making is, you know, when you have to change to accommodate a system, that is wrong. You've got to sometimes let the system kind of like work with you. And then, you know, I also talked about experiences, for example, you know, on my 21st birthday here in Peterborough, we're not a hotbed of racism, but, you know, I was sitting there, um, you know, quietly with my old, one older brothers and an English friend having a drink, it was my 21st. And, you know, we set upon by a group of six skinheads, um, literally across the road from the police station, we were given uh, what well, many would call a damn good hiding. It wasn't the best birthday present I've ever had. When the policeman finally came over, you know, rather than asking me, and you know, they came over so slowly, the, the skinheads walked away, didn't even run away. And I was like, why did you not intervene? Why do you not do it? And the guy looked at me, and rather than asking, are you okay? He said to me, what are you doing over this side of town? And I was like, really? Really? What? So because I lived in an ethnic part of town, the, a kind of ghetto as far as I'm concerned, I'm not allowed out to drink where the gorgeous sit, where the white people sit. Are you mad? And I, you know, I was bloody and I was kind of angry and I, I called him an ignorant pig. He was a young officer um, and I got arrested. So, you know, the craziness was that the people that actually beat me up walked away and I got kind of, you know, hauled up and it was the case of, you know, you're going to be arrested because you're, you're insolent and you've insulted a police officer. Um, now, I've got to say at this point in time, you know, I've got absolute respect for the police. I've got members of my family in the police force and nothing against them. But it was a naive officer who said the wrong thing to the wrong person. Um, the irony was that a few weeks earlier, I'd actually been, uh, I'd delivered a lecture to a group of new police officers on multiculturalism in Peterborough and policing. Really? So, I uh, know, it's, it's so ironic. And I had the name of the actual um, acting, the commander at the time. And so when I dropped his name in the frame, he said, I want to make a phone call to him. You know, I was released pretty quickly without charge. 
um, and, uh, and a few apologies. So, so look, you know, and, and then if we fast forward to things like Brexit a few years ago, you know, some of us are still getting racial abuse because of Brexit. So it's not gone away. So to your point about what do we tell our children? We tell our children, look, you know, you've got to stand up for yourselves, you know, because it, I know people keep coming up with all lives matters. All lives matters is actually a hijack of black lives matters. And sadly, most of the people that go around saying all lives matter got it and they're quite right wing. And they're just trying to do that because my, my view is once black lives and minority lives matter, all lives will matter anyway, because at the moment, Gordy and white people aren't under threat. So as soon as the, the minority, those that are under threat matter, everyone, you know, we leave nobody behind. And so that's why I'm passionate about this. And, you know, I have had some criticism from the Asian community about this, about, you know, why you're supporting this. And quite frankly, if they don't get it, then really they, they need to look a little harder. Well, I think it's important for, you know, sometimes when you're looking at a, a perspective to walk in the other person's shoes and Sometimes it's not possible yeah. to do that. What I would say before we move on to the, the final thing I really want to talk to you about was racism can be direct, like you've experienced, and that's not going to get away from the fact that racism still continues to be direct. But there is also institutionalised as well. You know, and, and institutionalised is the subtlety where you don't know what's happening to you, but if you exercise, or the conversations behind closed doors, or the editorial that's been written with a particular bias, yeah. right? Or an editorial that's been written with a particular image that may be put next to the text. And in that sense, when you're reading the media, you're yeah. automatically being influenced by the picture, although the person may read the text or may not read the text, but subconsciously they're actually getting to you and uh, putting, you know, like maybe uh, someone's described it to me who worked in quite uh, one of the broadsheets and said, when they're gonna talk about tech, sometimes they put um, a rickshawala on a mobile phone when they're talking about India. Mm. So you think, okay, that's a yeah. subtle message there. Um, it may not relate to us necessarily, but they're planting that image, you know? Well, look, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've been in the IT industry now for 30 years. And, you know, I remember when my brother and I were first in that industry and we were actually in kind of like front facing frontline sales roles. So we were actually people roles. And when you'd go to a big show, somebody would immediately look at you with a bug and being Indian. And it was like, you're a programmer. You know, that yeah, was well, it. I've, 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 I've come to sign a, you know, you know, half a million pound deal, and someone said, oh, the photocopier's over there. It's a bit like a lawyer that recently went in and said that, are you a translator? Yeah. And she was the main lawyer. Let's move on to yeah. a few, uh, you know, we've got a few minutes to talk about the, the Bond episode. Um, now, I read your article, I thought it was really good. You were doing a mobile disco, so, you know, that's, it goes back to the stereotype. You know, you're in, I like a yeah. bit of jazz, you like a bit of rock. I don't necessarily, yeah. you know, big Bhangra fan, nor are you, but that's, if you like Bhangra, that's fine. Love it, do yeah, it, yeah. you know, I like, it, I like a bit of it. But ultimately, everyone has their own tastes. So you were in a situation where I, where you uh, you were involved in the Octopussy movie. So we've got a few minutes to talk about that. The Bond Octopussy movie, and I think we've got some pictures as well to show uh, with regards to yeah. you standing next to Roger Moore yeah. and stuff. Yeah. This is Kabir Bedi, the picture we're showing right now. You know, uh, he was the, unfortunately, baddie, he was the Sadar in uh, uh, um, Octopussy. That's right. And that's with Roger Moore, so, the picture that you know, with your brother, you know. Tell us about brother this. And I. Yeah, so, so basically it was 1983. We were doing our discos. Um, sorry, 1982, actually. We were doing our discos. And um, we used to go around late at night and putting posters up. And it had the name of the Singh Brothers, the disco, on there. And um, 
we would get calls for people booking discos up, but we got one strange call where somebody asked whether we were Sikhs, whether we wore turbans. And because the National Front were around, we thought it was a wind-up. But it turns out that it was a real uh, a call from Eon Studios who were filming just outside Peterborough on the railway. Um, and what they were, um, and when we, long story short, we, we went to see them at the local hotel, um, which had taken the entire floor out. And they told us what we're looking for is somebody that can tie a bug on the on Kabir's head and on the stuntman's head uh, that won't come off because they and they pulled out the bug they've been using, which they bought from India. And it was like literally like a bath towel. And we laughed and said, where'd you get that from? They said, India. I said, well, you got ripped off there then because that's the worst bug I've ever seen in my life. And I took out the bag, you know, literally a, a nine foot the star that we were wearing. And, that, and that's a gray one that is in the photos, my school the star. And um, we tied it on his head. And I said, that's not going to fall off. And, you know, Khabib's a tall man. When he stood up and he said, this feels brilliant. And and kind of Roger Moore was kind of like, well, just make sure it doesn't fall off when you kind of like get on top of the train and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we bond saying, it ain't going anywhere, Rog. And uh, it was great. But what we did, we got the job. Um, and in fact, well, they actually wanted one of us. They said, we only need one of you to tie the bug. And we said, ah, sorry, we're the Singh brothers. We come as a pair. So you pay us both. Right. And so we got 50 pounds a day each. This is called negotiation up and in negotiate so we both got paid 50 pound each for about three minutes work a day which is good work back in the 80s and all it was is tie the turban on then actually sit in Khabib's trailer or wander around and and it, your, mom, uh, your mom stitched some bugs as well didn't she and then you, you charged yeah. for those we did because they said look we when we leave here we've got to go back and reshoot some scenes and we need this grade the start and we need that and if you could do some more and i said well yeah my mom can make those for you uh but they're not cheap um, and so the 50 pound a bug, it was quite good. It was 200 quid for Ford the starter. I mean, I, I, I regret now, I think I'd charge them more because I spent millions, let's face it, it's a Bond movie. They, you know, they're blowing up cars and stuff, so why not? And um, so, yeah, so they took these bugs away. And then um, I'd say, I mean, I got on really well with Khabib. He, he gave me his address in Los Angeles. Um, sadly, I went off to university and I lost his address only to find it literally, uh, you know, about 20 plus 30 years later. Um, and, and he'd moved by then. He's back to back to uh, Mumbai. And um, but then in 2017, um, yeah, a lovely guy running a thing called Turbantine on Screen put together a special showing of Octopussy in London, um, which and he asked me to present at that and speak at it, which I did. And then as a surprise, on Skype, as well, haven't we? Yeah. We got a picture of that. Picture. Uh, yeah, with you standing in front of the uh, the crowd, actually. Um, and then he, he and, and and he then actually got Khabib on Skype, uh, sitting in in uh, you know Mumbai, and that was brilliant. That's Khabib in like in 2017, and so that's the first time we'd seen each other for 35 years. And he immediately, I mean, he was gushing. He was like, "Oh, Diljeet, brilliant to see you. Remember those days? It was brilliant. It was like the guy knew everything, um, and it, it was lovely. It was a great memory. And you know, it was like you did. He did say you never called me when I left my number, and I was like, really sorry, I lost your number. <laughs> but well, you must go good. and see him again. You might, when you go, if you ever get a chance to go to Mumbai, go to the Bollywood uh, studios or whatever, and then uh, I've done yeah, that too I'd, with my dad. I'd, I'd, I'd love to see him. I'd love to see him. He was a lovely, lovely gentleman. Uh, I know he's getting on a bit now, but he's, he's, a, he's a lovely man. It was a great experience. And again, the other thing for me is I'm a massive movie fan. I mean, I sat and talked with Roger Moore. I mean, I, I did tell Roger that um, Sean Connery was my favourite Bond, and he didn't mind. Uh, you know, he was really <laughs> good about it. He has, Brilliantly dry sense of humor. He said, Well, you know, Sean can do his bond and he can do certain things, but there's one thing I can do, Sean can't. And I was like, God, then what is it? And he just raised his color eyebrow like he did in those films, like, you know, lifted his well, eyebrow. You, you eye 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 eye. to uh, realize that if he'd raised his eyebrow and looked up, 
then he would have seen a little halo because of the saint. Because uh, he, he, he did really great wonders in the saint, didn't he? He did, he did. He was a marvellous actor, and I spoke to him about films like The Wild Geese, in which he was with Richard Burton, who's probably one of my favourite actors of all time, and he gave me some funny stories. So sitting around talking to these amazing people, um, you know, getting paid, you know, being involved in a movie, and even though I'm not in the movie, you know, my the star is actually immortalised forever. Your, your star uh, is immortalised. Well, I was going to say, it Bill, is. it's so won wonderful to meet you, uh, in, um, and we will hope to see each other soon. Maybe we can do some... Uh, shows or something together maybe uh, with all your broadcasting experience as well um thank you so much for sharing the story i think it's a really amazing story uh i also think it's really interesting what you were saying about the um the, the racism and how we need to be more aware and i wish you best of luck in all the running uh and you've got to stay fit do uh for a little tip for you with because uh, i'm a bit of a running fan leg raises are quite okay. nice to help you with your, with your knees uh, hold your legs straight okay. and then lift them up so inches off the floor uh, but uh, so there are many techniques to strengthen your quads and stuff but I'm sure you know all that and you'll continue to do some great things uh, and uh, we really really value your time today thank you so much for joining us Del uh, thank you so much thank you very much Dr. Sabi